All right. Our sermon notes didn't end up in the bulletin this week, but that's okay because I, I know they're up on the screen. I saw them earlier. Um, so if you please rise for Luke 11, verses 45 through 54. That's found on page 1,106 in your Black Pew Bible and 1,258 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 11, 45 through 54. They read in Jesus' name. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves. And you hindered those who were entering. Let us pray. Oh, we're supposed to go through 54. I apologize. And he went away from there. The scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this text. I thank you for recording this for us that we might be instructed. Lord, that we might be edified, that we might be encouraged, that we might be built up into your gospel. We pray that you would bless us now as we meditate on it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So for today's sermon, I am going to, the majority of the sermon is going to be on the last point. And so if we go through the first two points quickly, don't think, Haha, we'll be out of here soon, because that's not going to happen. Um, but, and just so you know, so you have something to look forward to, the third point, Eileen is actually going to be illustrating the reality of it through a testimony. And so uh, she is very excited about that. You can just tell by the, the, the vibration. That, that might be nervous, but uh, I'll just assume it's excitement. So last week we talked about the Pharisees. And I wanted to recap this because it's important as we interact with the lawyers so that we don't end up doing what the lawyers did. Because the Pharisees... What was the problem with the Pharisees? Does anybody remember? All knowledge and no faith. Yep, no character. It wasn't inside, it was just outside. And how then, so how do we not be like the Pharisees? Well, we need to, God calls us to build character. And so the important side, is the outside more important than the inside? Well, actually, no. Because if I have a cup that's got a hole on the outside, I've also got a cup that's got a hole on the inside. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, that's... But you hear people say this. My actions don't matter. It's just my heart. Like, uh, no, that's not actually the way that this works. Because the heart is the thing that determines the inside. It's the thing that determines the need for the outside. But the outside also speaks back to the inside. Because he who made the outside of the cup also made the inside of the cup. And so God doesn't just want us to have right motivations and terrible actions. 
nor does he want us to have right actions and terrible motivations. He wants both of them lined up together. And so how do we do this? This, you know, how do we build character? And I actually practiced on myself this week just to see, because I have a tendency to, I actually do set goals for myself throughout the week. So this last week I thought, what's it going to be like if I make the effort to not set a goal? You know what I found out? My week was much more rambling. It, it didn't, it didn't have the, that same drive. It didn't have that same pursuit. It didn't have that same energy because I didn't have anything to pursue. I didn't have anything like, I, well, I had things I needed to get done, but I'll get them done as I get them done. Well, I was able to get them done by the grace of God because I'd get reminded of something like, oh yeah, I got to do that. So I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to do that. I didn't do, I didn't set goals for my, um, for my scripture meditation. I didn't set goals for that. And you know what ended up happening? I didn't spend as much time meditating because other things came in. Other things washed in. They just keep washing in until finally, well, my day was over. And so we, we need to be setting these goals, making these vows. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to spend more time in this than in this. And we set those vows, we set those goals, and they end up becoming spiritual disciplines for us. So we set the external actions. And then as I find my internal self fighting against that, because Paul talks about this in Romans. As I find my internal self fighting against that, Paul talks about in terms of covetousness. The law came, my flesh took advantage of that and then ran away and I died, basically. As I set that goal, I'm going to be meditating on scripture today. I'm not going to be reading this. I'm not going to be listening to this. I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be meditating on scripture, taking my free time for that. My attitude will, reveal, will be revealed. Like, oh, but I really want to do this. Oh, I'm so frustrated. I have to meditate on scripture. Like, oh, that's, that's my sin. Because then my sin reveals itself through that vow. It's not that the vow is making me sin. It's that that vow actually exposes my sin. You know, if you're, if you're ever cleaning, you're like, oh, this is such a waste of time. Well, what's going on? That job, that goal that you have set is revealing your attitude. And so then you have an opportunity to confess that attitude. Now, I'm not saying that being irritated with cleaning is a sin. Unless you set that as a vow, then it's a different matter. Does that make sense? So this is how we build character. This is how we deal with the internal because we deal with the internal through confession and repentance. It's not us just buckling down and getting it right like a good Scandinavian or German for that matter. It's us coming to Jesus because that's what that first song was about. Um, Boy, that was a long time ago. (laughs) We have a lot of slides. Thanks, Linda, for putting all those together. Jesus said that if I fear, I should come to him. No one else can be my shield. I should come to him. So when our, these attitudes come up, where do we go? I'm going to buckle down and do it myself. No. We come to Jesus. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And so we won't, we can't fix ourselves, but Jesus can. So then confession becomes an opportunity for us to come to Jesus, to have him change us. Does that make sense? So then what did the lawyers do though? The lawyers, their job, as far as they did it, was to delineate what does God want, what does God not care about. 
Because all the stuff that God doesn't care about, then you can kind of do whatever you want. And then the stuff that God wants, well, then you really need to be on that. You need to be figuring that out. You need to make sure that your actions are, are precise. Now, they're, they're, the lawyers actually were, they did this to such a degree that there was a debate at that point as to what does it mean to work on the Sabbath day. So if I have two figs, you know how big a fig is, right? I've told this story before. If, if I have two figs, I'm carrying something because I can only eat one at a time. Well, obviously their mouths must have been smaller than mine. But um, the figs might have been bigger. That's true. <laughs> but how do I please how do I please God? Well, if God doesn't want me to be carrying things because that's work, what if I have one fig in my hand, I throw it up in the air, and while that fig is up in the air, I pick up another fig, and then I catch that fig in my mouth. Am I doing work? Well, yes, you are, because it's way too much work to try to do that. But that, that was the question. Is God mad at me now because I did work on the Sabbath? If I'm only supposed to go so far from my house, they actually had this figured out. I can only go so far from my house. Well, what is my house? So I'm going to take a piece of furniture, I'm going to take a piece of my house, and I'm going to move it to the end of that distance so that I can travel in between that distance safely, then I can go further on the Sabbath day. And so this is what they did. And as, and we shake our heads. It's like, oh, that's crazy. But actually, we were having a discussion about this last night at the Eatwell house. Are tattoos sinful? Like, well, what is that? And to some degree, it's the same discussion about the figs. Well, what then is a tattoo? Can I have a, if tattoos are sinful, can I have a tattoo telling the people that I'm diabetic? I'm not diabetic, but could I have that tattoo? Could I have a DNR or do not resuscitate as a tattoo? Would that be sinful? You know, would, would a Bible verse be sinful? Well, where do we draw that line? Well, we don't know. You know, well, you just can't have tattoos at all. Well, you know, that's, but really when we're asking this question, aren't we, we're kind of doing the same thing, right? Because, <laughs> because we missed it. We missed the point. We missed who God is. And then what are they doing? So the Pharisee, the lawyers, they are putting their, so that's what the lawyers did. That was their job. That's all they did. I know pastors who do that too. <laughs> but that was, that was their job. They thought it was their job to tell people, sin is here. Everything on this side of it is not sin. Everything on this side of it is sin. So don't do anything on this side of it. It's all about your actions. Remember, it's all about the external. We don't want to do that. Secondly, what they did is they honored the past because as they built tombs for the prophets whom their fathers killed, by the way. Um, so you are, uh, woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers for they killed them and you build their tombs. And so what is this? What are they doing? They're honoring the prophets. Well, is, is, is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with honoring those who came before. The problem was they weren't following those who came before. They weren't following God. They weren't listening to what God said through the prophets. They were just honoring the men. And we have to be careful about this. I know I have to be careful about this because I have a great deal of respect for the people who came before. And actually, uh, we just got a thing from the AFLC. Uh, I just found it on my desk today that there's going to be... Uh, 
we're going to have a Sunday school. It's a Sunday school curriculum about the founding principles of the AFLC. And I was reading through. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. We're going to do that for Sunday school for my class. Um, and I was reading about Georg Sverdrup. You know what? He said some really interesting, some really good things. And so I have respect for those men. But you know what all those men were trying to do? They weren't trying to point us back to themselves. They were trying to point us to God. So if I'm honoring them but not following God, am I actually honoring them? No. And so Jesus is saying, you missed the point. You build tombs for the prophets, but you don't do what God says. And so basically you're doing the same thing that your fathers did. You're still disobeying them. And if you'd been there at that time, you would have killed them too because they were saying things that you don't want. And so if I don't submit myself to the God of the prophets, if I don't submit myself to the God of Luther, if I don't submit myself to the God of Calvin, to the God of Georg Sverdrup, I just like that name. It's kind of fun to say. You should do that too. We get on. Uh, G-E-O-R-G. Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, S-V something, Sverdrup. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I can't spell in English, let alone Norwegian. <laughs> if I'm not submitting to the God of these men, I'm doing like the lawyer's fathers did. I am rejecting them. I am hardening my heart against them. And I am functionally killing them all over again. Because it's about the God that they were trying to bring. Not about the men themselves. Does that make sense? And so they were teaching people to honor the men, but they weren't teaching people to honor the God of the men. Because all of this needed to culminate in this generation. Well, what does that mean? From the blood of Abel all the way to the blood of Zechariah. And so Zechariah there is the father of John the Baptist who was killed because he refused to give, according to church history, he was killed because he refused to give the place where John the Baptist was. And so then the Roman soldiers, and, or the Romans and the Jews killed him then because John the Baptist was hidden out in the desert during the persecution of uh, that Herod had when Jesus fled to Egypt. So what's going on there? Well, because this is all culminating in Jesus. Because if we've rejected the prophets, we've rejected the apostles, we've rejected everybody that they've said, so also we reject Jesus. That all of that blood might come upon them. That everything that those men stood for, which was Jesus, that that might be fulfilled now. And why were they doing this? Because they missed God. They missed God. Who is God? They had the key to knowledge. They had the scriptures. Who is God? And all they got out of the scriptures was that God was a tyrant. He's saying, do this, so we do it. He doesn't care why you do it. He doesn't care how you do it. He just wants you to do it. And so their view of God was simply the view of a tyrant. Do we ever think about God that way? He only cares about my actions. I can't do that. God will be mad at me. I'm going to do this in a bad attitude. No. God, God cares about that too. Why would God tell me to do that? I don't want to do that. Well, then God's a fool. Right? Who is God? Because the lawyers, the scriptures, contain the key of knowledge. And the lawyers had that. They could read. They studied it. They searched the scriptures to figure out what does God want of us? 
But the problem was they had the wrong view of God. They didn't apply those things into their own lives. They didn't live them out. They didn't lift a finger to help to do these things. These were rules for thee, not for me. So then they were stuck because they didn't listen to anyone else teach anything else about God. And so today we're going to have Eileen come up and my, so my mom got me a cup, a uh, coffee cup. It's, you might see it floating around. Well, not floating, not levitating um, because, you know, I'll, I'll be using it and I'll leave it on the table by accident. But uh, it says, caution or pastor, caution anything that you say or do could be used in a sermon. And so um, Eileen had the unfortunate experience of asking me a question. <laughs> and as she asked me this, uh, the question about a, a dream that she had, the question was, is this legitimate? Like, Well, um, I'm going to leave you to, to answer that and we'll ask it afterwards. But it was, so as we, so then, how do we deal with this? How do we deal with experiences of God? How do we deal with that? Because how many of you serve a living God? We serve a living God, right? Do we serve a God that's active in this world? Do we serve a God that wants to be known? Yeah. And so that means that he is going to be interacting with us. Well, what does that look like? That looks like through scripture and it does not leave the bounds of scripture. So if, if God interacts with me, well, we talked about this at the E-Wells last night. If God interacts with me and God says to me, Joe, you should have an affair. Is that God? No, that is not God. Because there's no place in scripture where anyone is ever allowed to do that or encouraged to do that in anywhere that it's not sin. And so if I am told to do something that's sinful, that's not God. But if in my encounter with God, a truth about God is revealed that scripture validates, what do I do with that? Well, then I say, praise God. He just made this more real to me. And now he has the opportunity to make this more real through me. And so that's why, because the Pharisees, or the lawyers, had the wrong view of God. And oftentimes we have the wrong view of God too. And I'll admit that myself. I, I can't say you. I'll just say me. I have the wrong view of God. Because I fall into that tyrant view of God. But Eileen had an interesting dream that reminded her of another aspect of God. So with that, Eileen, would you be willing to come up? Wow. That's really in there. Thank you. I'm going to use... She's got it. I'm actually going to borrow this. There you go. Make sure you shuffle through the paper. Yes, thank you for inviting me up here. And um, I will agree, be careful what you say to pastor. (laughs) Um, He had asked me to give a little background knowledge um, because not everybody knows our families, our family, or our situation. But one thing uh, um, I really enjoy, I really enjoy hearing other people's testimonies. 
I really love hearing um, how God has worked in their lives, and I think it's a big reminder that God cares for us and that he is active and involved in us. So I had a brother. I had a brother. His name was Brian, and he was born in Europe on an Air Force base. And less than a year later, I was born in Mississippi on an Air Force base. The day that I was born, I accidentally was dropped on the hospital floor. And shortly after that, my brother, and I'm going to get through this, <laughs> my brother accidentally broke his hip. It was a very abusive household. A year later, we were living in Maine when my daycare provider reached out to the police and I had suspicious head injuries, which triggered a child abuse investigation. Instead of losing custody of me, my parents took Brian and I and they ran. They ran up to Canada and they ran all across the US. For three years, my parents lived as fugitives. We had fake names, we had fake identifications, while Brian and I were in and out of the hospital for, um, for abuse. Then on October 3rd, 1990, my brother was brought into a hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The trauma that he endured caused him to undergo immediate brain surgery, and then he was placed on life support for three days before he died. I still remember that day. I remember I remember they put him in the back seat for me to take care of him on the way to the hospital. And so he was five, and I was just turned four. My testimony of that day to the police, because I was the witness, caused my parents to finally get arrested. And my father was charged with reckless homicide and falsely imprisonment. My mom was forced with failure to protect. Now you have to understand, this is just my story. This is my perspective. My mom claims that she didn't know what was going on. My brother was in a body cast twice, but she didn't know what was going on. My first tooth that I lost, my dad punched me in the face, but she didn't know what was going on. She insists that she had suffered from battered wife syndrome, and obviously her perspective would be different. Um, if that is the case. My mom never lost custody of me, and so for her seven years in prison, I spent every other weekend going to prison to having to visit her, because that was her right. And at age 11, I was forced to move back in with her. The state of Wisconsin only watched over us maybe a year, and then that was it. There was no more contact, and there was no more protection. So when her, aggression and when her excuse me, aggression increased again toward me, I really began to experience a lot of flashbacks. But no one was around, nobody in the family was around to explain what I was remembering. Nobody wanted to talk to me. In fact, I was told that my mom went through so much, we don't want to upset her by bringing it up. And when I brought it, the concerns up to my mom, she told me that she served her time. She doesn't owe me anything. No explanation or anything. Now she is a very different woman now, and we still struggle with communication. 
she has since apologized and in her own way tried to make things right, I think. But at that time, it was a very different situation. And so out of my anger and frustration, I began to lash out. And I began to, every time we had a fight, I would just leave. And I would stay away for a while. At, faith, at the age of 15, I was a complete mess. I was exhausted. I was tired. I was angry. Angry is a main word <laughs> that just keeps coming back when I try to explain how I felt. And so I just, I just wanted to give up. I was done. I was exhausted. But that's when God really started to reach out to me. And I never doubted his existence but I just didn't know who he was or why. No one cared for us. You know, as a child, it's easy to hear. It's easy to want to believe when somebody says, I love you, right? You want to hear that. You need to hear that. But as I get older, and especially the more I talk about our past, I realize that, you know, people can say whatever they want. It's the actions, right? So one particular experience about God reaching out to me was in a dream. Now, if you can envision this, I was in a room, but it didn't have walls. It, didn't, it was just space. And there was light, but there wasn't a light source. And I was there, but I didn't have a body. And I truly felt that God the Father was in front of me, but I couldn't see anything. Nothing was there, but that sense that God the Father was there. And he spoke to me, but I didn't hear it through words. I felt it, the message, and I felt emotions. I felt the emotions that he had, if you can kind of begin to understand that. And he started off with, I'm sorry. And I knew that he was speaking about my brother and his death. And then he said, someday you'll understand. And yeah, that was over 20 years ago. <laughs> and I sat on that memory and others. And it has really, it perplexed me at first because that's not how I saw God. Um, I saw God very angry aggressive, violent, mean, and I didn't want anything to do with him. And so when God started to reveal himself to me, I was perplexed and didn't know what to do with, with that. But over time, I see a little bit more of what God was saying. Someday you'll understand. So many people defended my parents not us. And that abuse would have continued on and on and on if God hadn't taken my brother. And kind of like somebody had pointed out, imagine the home that my brother has now. You know? He was five years old when he passed away. Of course he's in heaven. But he has, he has God with him. He ha he's safe. You know, all these Bible verses about God will protect you. 
God will give you hope and a future. Like they have a different meaning for me than I think the majority of people. And I think of my brother. Thank you. So why did, so why did I do that? Because of Eileen's view of God. So what was her, so I'm, I'm going to ask, I, I expect response as why would, why would Eileen have a view of God as someone who is mean, uh, unkind, cruel almost? Kylie. Yeah, because during her life was she was abused. God took her brother. God gave her parents that didn't love her. That's what her dad was. And that's oftentimes we view God through the light of our our parents, but not just our parents, but then also our experiences. So then Eileen had continued to live her life with that view of God. How would that change her relationship with God? Think about it. Say again, Jim. Run away from God. She would never trust him. Because you don't trust someone who's cruel, Kylie. She would avoid him, Yeah. But that wouldn't change God's desire for her. Because even though she had the wrong view of God, God still loved Eileen. And one of the questions that Eileen asked is, why me? Why would I get this dream? And you know what? I can't answer that question. She goes, I'm not Moses. I'm guessing he probably had a much nicer beard. Um, (laughs) And spoke Hebrew. Um, Unless there's a Secret language that we don't know about. No, okay. She's not Moses. Why Why her? And I, So I prayed about that because when people ask me a question and I don't have the answer, then I pray about it. And it hit me that I don't know. <laughs> and I'm not going to be revealed. That's not going to be revealed to me. Why, why would Eileen have this dream? Why would she have these experiences? But then the what struck me. And it just, it just hit me as I was praying about it. It just hit me like a, ton of bricks. Because God desired Eileen to know these things and God desires others to know these things now through Eileen. So what, it's not why, it's what do we do with them? We share them. Because how many of you think of God in terms of the one who shares my pain? Janet does. Sometimes. That's not often how we think of God though. At least not me. Oftentimes I think of God as the one standing there saying, all right, Joe, time to get done with it. Move through it. Stop the self-pity. Move on with your life. That's how I see God. I don't see God as the one that walks with me in the midst of my pain, that feels it himself. I am sorry. Not that he did it and he's apologizing, but that he's feeling sorrow in the midst of that. Because wasn't it was just this overwhelming sorrow that God was 
emanating. We had a longer talk about it when we were up at Sleepy Eye. That's who God is. Now, so then this was a dream. Does this teach us new doctrines about God? No. Because does God reveal himself as the one who walks with us in our pain? How did, how did God reveal himself to Hagar? The God who sees you. She was the one rejected by Sarah. She was the one kicked out by Abraham. She was the one that was, carrying, that was waiting for her son to die. She said, no, you're, you're the God who sees. He sees me in the midst of this pain, turmoil, sorrow, hurt. He's the God who sees. And that's not seeing as in, he, he looks at me. Like, no, he, he comprehends. He walks with me in the midst of it. And so the way that we see God changes the way that we interact with God. And that's what the lawyers, that was the problem of the lawyers. They got stuck in a tyrant view of God. And Jesus comes and reveals truth. This is the God who loves you. This is the good shepherd that seeks you out. This is the one who, this is the one who sweeps her whole house to find the one lost coin. This is that one. And this is the God that we are called to see as well. This is the God who desires us, who walks with us in our pain, in our sorrow, in our fear, stands there in the midst of it, feeling it along with us. Frustration. This is God. So what does he want? He wants us to see him for all that he is. So why did God give this dream to Eileen? I don't know. But what does he want from Eileen? That she would share this truth about God. So what does he want from us then? That we would live these things out, that we'd let them change us and then share them with a world that does not know that there is a God who actually loves them. Who stands with them in their sorrow and in their pain, who desires to see them whole, healed, healthy. Any questions? So if you haven't had a dream, no problem. Why did God give it to Eileen? Not to me. I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's not the question. As we're sharing these things, why do you get that experience and I don't get that experience? That's not the question. This isn't a competition. Let us use what God has given us. Share it with the world that needs to hear it. Share it with other Christians. How many of you, raise your hands, how many of you were affected by what Eileen had to say? So this is what happens when we share our testimonies, even with Christians. I'm not an evangelist. No, but you can be an encourager. This is what we want to grow in. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for revealing your truth to and through Eileen. Thank you for revealing your truth to and through the lawyers, but in a very different manner. 
Lord, I pray that we would walk in your love and in your care and in your compassion and in your strength. Thank you for standing with Eileen as she spoke about you and spoke about her past, her history. Thank you for strengthening her. I pray now that, that we would look to you for strength as we also share what you have done in us, through us, to us, for us. Lord, that our fellow Christians might be encouraged and that the world who does not know the truth of you might come to know that truth and see you rightly. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.